So, that worship was amazing, wasn't it? And it really um, mirrors some of the things that I'm hoping to share with you today, just from the heart of God. I think all of you know me, don't you? But anyway, my name is Rachel, and I have a lovely husband on the front row here, Joseph, and three children as well. And we've been part of the fellowship for almost 10 years now. So that is me. So I'm just um, sharing because I felt God speak to me a little bit from this series that we've been doing in church, When God Does Maths. Um, So the word that I am bringing is, when God does division, it equals multiplication. So one divided by two equals more than enough. I'm sure that if we have a think about the Bible and about the things we might already know, the stories we might already know, there are stories that will immediately come to your mind when you think about when God does division, it equals multiplication. So I thought I'd start off by a little bit of audience participation, and I'd like you to talk to the person next to you a bit and see what stories come to mind when you think about God's um, division that equals multiplication. So yeah, have a chat. Great. So, um, I wonder if that what of the um, if some of you can, might want to tell me some of the um, stories that immediately came to your mind when you thought about God, um, how His multiplication, His division can equal multiplication. Does anyone want to share something, Lizzie? Absolutely, five loaves and two fishes. Thank you, and that is top of my list as well. When Jesus. Um, was preaching to many, many people, and they got hungry, as we all do. And all they had amongst the crowds was a little boy who had five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus blessed that food. He broke it. He divided it. And he gave it out. And it multiplied. Miraculously, it was enough. And there was more than enough. There was still more left over. Anyone else got another story they can think of? Anyone else? Rosemary. Absolutely. Fantastic. This is going so well because that is actually second on my list. Yes. So Elisha, um, a prophet in the Old Testament and a widow who knows him. He call, she calls upon the prophet for help in her time of need. Um, she's in debt. Um, she owes money. She's a widow. She hasn't got any source of income and she has only one jar of oil left. And Elisha tells her to go and borrow empty vessels. And he says, borrow as many as you can. She borrows as many as she can. She goes, takes them into her home, and she pours the oil from her one vessel. And she fills all the vessels with oil. It doesn't stop 
pouring until all the vessels are full. So this is a miraculous provision from God that then sustained the widow and her son. There was more than enough once again. There is one more massively important one, which is the center of the gospel message, really. Helen. No. Oh, fantastic. Yes, amen. So, again, God has a funny way of doing maths. He takes the multitudes and he divides it and divides it until he has established people with the right heart, with the faith to really go and win uh, the victory for God. That's a fantastic one. Thank you, Helen. Not on my list. I will go to my next slide. Aha, here we are. One body broken the center of the gospel message, one body broken so that all can be saved. And we remember that in the Last Supper. So those are the things that would probably come to mind when you think about God's maths and how that equals multiplication. Um, Obviously, later on, we're going to be thinking more and focusing more when we take communion about Jesus and his one body that was broken so that many could know life, that many could be saved. But actually, what I'm going to be speaking on is not any of those stories. But I've let us think about that, just to show that it really is God's heart. It really is the Father's heart to multiply, to take what isn't enough and make it more than enough. And with that in mind, I'm actually going to be speaking about the story of the prodigal son, I love this story. It's a parable that Jesus tells. And I basically just want to share from my heart because to me, this is my favorite of all the parables. And that's because it reveals the Father. It, Jesus points to the Father. And actually, Jesus' whole message when he was on earth was to reveal the Father's heart to us, to show us the Father's love. And the story of the prodigal son just does that so beautifully. Um, Yeah, so I just want to pray. Although this is a simple message, I really want to pray that it will be a catalyst and a trigger for God's word, that the Father's heart will be revealed through the words that I speak, that these words will be anointed and that they will minister God's love and God's heart to each person here as I speak them. So, the prodigal son, and the message is going to be based more around the older brother, actually, um, because it's a message of the transformative love of the father. It's one that many of us know well. It's been one of the most impacting stories in my life, because for me, the revelation of the father's love has absolutely transformed and changed me as a as a person entirely. And so I'm really hoping that you'll catch some of that heart of the Father through what I'm going to share. 
So when Jesus tells the story, he's really um, wanting to point to the Father's heart. He's wanting to reveal the Father's love to us. And a few weeks ago, Catherine shared and, about the prodigal son as well. And we know this story is a representation of what we have each received upon our salvation. That instead of condemnation, there is a loving and abundant welcome for the son who had gone away, who was lost when he returns. His disobedience was not punished, but instead it was forgiven. And we know that parables were told by Jesus which they, because they had a deeper hidden meaning. And Jesus talks about parables. He says in Mark 4, 11 and 12, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, everything is said in parables. So I want to discover a little bit more of the hidden mystery within this parable. Um, the more mystery about the kingdom of God that is available to us, that when one divided by two, it equals more than enough. So the parable son is found in Luke, the the parable of the lost son is found in Luke. Um, it's Luke 15, and it starts at verse 11. I'm going to just read that to you now. I know that many of you know it well, but I just feel it's lovely just to read this story. It's such a wonderful story. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So the father divided them, um, divided his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed on a f f far journey, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. I'm going to read it from my notes because it's harder from the Bible. Just excuse me one moment. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now, I'm sure many of you know this, but I will just point out that for the Jewish people, of which this son, he would have been from a Jewish family, they didn't eat pig. They um, didn't really go near pigs. So to be feeding the pigs, this was a very, very low place for him to be. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So here we can see that he, he has detached himself from the father. He's gone away. 
He's gone far, far away, and he doesn't even feel that he can ever be accepted back as a son. He feels no longer worthy of that place at all. But he remembers that even the servants in his father's kingdom, in his father's estate, are treated better than this. And so he thinks about that, and he thinks, you know, maybe there's a chance that my father, although he won't have me back as a son, and I'm not worthy of that anymore, maybe there's a chance he'll let me just come and be a servant for him. That would be better than being here and feeding these pigs. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, just let that sink in. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. It's such a beautiful, beautiful image that... It breaks all of the Jewish traditions, you know, where the father is to be so respected and and given a place of honor and that very much established place of father. And yet he, he runs to this son. He sees him from far off, like as if he's been looking out for him all along. He throws his arms around him and kisses him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. It's interesting there, isn't it, that he he doesn't go in for himself to see what's going on. He doesn't go to his father and ask what's going on. But he relates to one of the servants and asks the servants what's going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But the father, uh, but he answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So I know you all know it so well. A lot of you know it well, but I just absolutely treasure that story. And I think it just fills my heart with joy to, to 
that image of that father who just has no condemnation for the son. He welcomes this son back fully. But let's just look at a few points in the story. So, first of all, the property is divided between the two sons. That would mean the younger son would get his share, which was actually one-third in the Jewish law. The younger son would get one-third of the father's possessions. And ordinarily, obviously, he would only get that when the father dies. So it was a really huge insult to the father. Huge. Not only do I not want to be with you, not only do I not want to live in your kingdom, I don't want to live in your estate, I don't want to work for you, I don't want to build your vision, I want to go off, and not only that, I want to take everything that you would give to me if you were dead. It's really a very harsh thing to do. The father's response to the son, when you think of it like that, just means all the more. Jesus is portraying a father that is waiting for his son. He's waiting. He notices him a long way off. Even though all of that has happened, he is waiting. He is longing to see that son return. Could it be that the father knew that his son would return? And that is why he noticed him a long way off. He knew when he let his son go, he knew his son so well. He knew his foolishness. He understood what the end might possibly be. Yet he released him to go. He gave him that freedom, knowing in his heart and hoping in his heart that he would return. So the inheritance is completely squandered. But still, the father welcomes him back, not as a servant, although even that would be a gracious thing to do. But no, he welcomes him back as a son. A son. He puts a ring on his finger. He wraps him in a robe. He puts sandals on his feet. He covers his shame. He absolutely covers the shame. He takes it away. It holds a significant meaning because this really means the ring in particular is a symbol that he's really been identified now back into that place as son. So the first lesson is that the father doesn't treat the son as a hired servant. The younger son returns and is given back, restored fully into his sonship. And as a result, the father's heart is over, overcome with joy and celebration. There's music, there's dancing. But what does this mean? What does this mean for the older son? What does it mean for the father's estate? Will it be halved again when the father does die? Now, the son, if the son is fully a son again, not only does this son getting a party, but is he also going to once again inherit his father's estate? It suggests that the father says to the son, all that I have is yours, which implies that the, 
There's not going to be anything taken from the older son's share of the inheritance. And yet somehow, where is this provision going to come from for this son? That fattened calf. Who did that now belong to, really? Surely it's, that's actually now coming from the older brother's share of the inheritance. That robe, that ring, who's paying for that? The father and the, the older brother's share. It's, be, it's being divided again. It's being given to this son who's been lost. So the older brother is he's thinking, where is this provision all coming from? And he's also thinking, I've never had, I've never wasted, I've never squandered, I've been here all this time. And yet now this brother who's wasted everything is being given this abundance. So you can really see the son, the older brother, there's a real justification to what he's feeling. It makes sense mathematically. He, he's really upset, he's very cross, he's very angered by this. But the father reminds him, my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, he was far away and he's found. It's right to celebrate, the father says. And this shows us God's reaction. And when we return, when we return to the Father, when we've been lost in sin, when we, you know, and it's not only at the point of our salvation, is it? But it's, it's actually recurring over and over again. We mess up. We make mistakes. We feel like, oh, I know what I should have done, and yet I did the opposite. I know I should have moved in God's love, and I, I moved in you know, in sin or in resentment or we have our still our flesh, our heart issues and yet constantly the Father is just longing to restore that relationship with him, that connection to him. He doesn't begrudge us. Like he doesn't begrudge that younger brother what he's done wrong. He doesn't take us back reluctantly but he takes us back with wide open arms, with running, with hugs, with kisses. He covers our shame, joyously and eagerly. But the older son, the older son doesn't understand the father's heart of love for his lost son. Even though this lost son is his own brother, is a member of his own family, he doesn't seem able to share in the joy of his return. So the older brother, he's angry and he refuses to go in. He refuses to enter into this joy and this celebration. Mm. But the father Here's the father's heart being revealed to us again in this parable. He goes out. He goes out to the older son. Once again, he's going. He's reaching out to his children. He's reaching out to his son. And he pleads with him to come in. But we see at the end of the story that the brother, the older brother, he doesn't go in. So he did the older brother, he hadn't demanded his inheritance. He'd stayed faithful to his father. He's now angry. Why should his younger, wasteful, sinful brother receive such a reception by the father? And where will this abundant provision come from? His inheritance, his share, 
So the father wants to talk to him about this. He wants to restore that relationship. He wants to put things right. And when that happens in the story, we discover that this older brother, he's not just angry with his younger brother. He's actually angry with the father too. He's angry with the way the father has responded. The older son wants things to be equal and fair. He's been working hard serving his father. And he's furious that this brother should be celebrated and given even more. But does he truly understand what it means to be a son? How well does he really know his father? And how well does he truly love his father? Could it be that the father also knew that even after dividing his property up, there would still be enough for both his sons? Could it be that from the moment his father decided to release the inheritance to the son, the father knew that when the son returned, there would still be enough? Could it be that our Father has so much that even if it had to be divided again and again and again, there would always be enough? You see, it's only when the older son fully knows his Father and fully loves his Father that he can share in his delight, that he can understand his joy and this great celebration. Only when the older brother truly holds the same perspective as the father can he share in the joy that his father is experiencing and that his father knows. But the brother, the older brother, he's looking through his own perspective, his limited view. He's not looking through the father's perspective. The older brother, in some ways, he's actually looking through quite a selfish perspective. He's seeing, he's seeing maths the way it is. He's saying, you've already gone off. You've already taken your share. It's already been divided. You can't come back. I'm, what's going to be given to you? How are we going to provide for you? How are we going to feed you? Who's paying for this party? Whose fattened calf is that, really? It was his. It was, gonna be, it was for him, really. He's not really happy to share it. So he needs to see it not through his own perspective, but outside of his own understanding. He needs a revelation of his father's heart, an understanding of his father's heart. In actual fact, he needed to know his father's heart. If he had that love connection with his father, I'm sure he would have been able to share in that joy more. It says in Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. It's the previous one, actually. Yeah, thanks. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So here's 
God the Father, back in the Old Testament, he's speaking to Israel this time. And in the same way, he's saying to Israel, my ways are different to your ways. Look at it through my perspective. Don't try to understand it through your own perspective. Don't try to rationalize it. But look at it through God's perspective. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It's really interesting that just before that, um, in Isaiah 55 again, if we just go up in in the, the passage, it says, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. The older son was laboring. He was laboring for his father. The older son was laboring, but he was not satisfied. Um, Actually, I'll go back to that one. Only when the older son draws closer to the father's heart and decides to trust, to surrender, then he can receive revelation and understand what the father already knows. The father knew what he was doing all along. And we know this because he waited for the son to return. He knew his son and he knew what he was doing when he allowed him to leave with one third of the estate. But he did it because he knew his estate was more than enough. He knew if his wealth and estate had to be split again, it would still be enough. And as Jesus tells this parable, he's he's really wanting to represent the kingdom of God. He's wanting to point us to the Father heart of God, to the Father's love. God's kingdom is beyond measure. And Jesus says in John 14, verse 2, In my Father's house there are many, many rooms. And that Jesus is preparing a place for us. And in the same way, I believe, in this story of the prodigal son, the father knew that there was still room for his son to return to. Not only that, If the older son can surrender his pain, lay down his strife, his laboring, his self-effort, and choose to trust in the father, then the two sons, not just the one, can in fact work the land and work the estate to care for it and expand its fruitfulness. But the older brother did not have room in his heart for his brother's return. The older brother did not understand. He did not grasp that having his brother back was a wonderful thing. He didn't grasp that it was something to be celebrated. When Jesus tells this parable, he knows that the people he's telling it to, there are some there who don't grasp what the kingdom of God is. He knows that there's Pharisees listening. He knows that there's people who are lost listening. It's got two messages in it, which is a beautiful thing. It's saying for those who are far off in sin, you're welcomed back. This Father is full of love. But it's also saying for those, there's another 
sort of distance, isn't there, that we can have from the Father. We can be in works, we can be in self-effort, we can be in striving. We don't truly know the Father. We don't truly love the Father. Both sons are at a distance. Both sons are a long way off. So, let's look at another son. And this son, he is the perfect son. Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, Abide in the Father's love. Actually, no, sorry, it's John 15, the true vine. Abide in me and I in you. I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. As the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So here we see how a son should be responding to to the Father. Here we see that actually God's plan all along is for us to know that we are sons, to know that we are children of God, and to fully embrace the Father to the extent that we are abiding in him. And he draws on this picture of how fruit abides in the vine. It absolutely entirely depends on it. It can't exist without it. It's entirely intertwined with the vine that is the Father. And Jesus is saying... I am also in the vine and he wants us to be absolutely abiding in this love, abiding in that relationship, fully established in that, knowing the Father and fully able to share in the Father's joy. Fully able to share in his abundance. That older brother, all the time he'd been there, he'd been in the kingdom, he'd been in his father's house He never had experienced that abundance. He'd never experienced that joy, that abundance. That's so sad, isn't it? That's so sad. But the older son's joy can be full when he loves as the father loves, when he truly understands his father's heart, when he rejoices with his father. His joy could have been full. He could have been celebrating. He could have known there is enough. I'm so pleased to have my brother home. That final scene, the older son walked away from his father and went back to his work. He disconnected. He didn't understand the father's perspective. He didn't understand his father's heart. He continued to work his father's estate, but he lost perspective. He entered into work and missed the party. He missed the celebration. He missed the experience of the joy. And he had no real understanding of what was actually available to him. 
So let us not be like the older son. Let us not be disconnected. Let us be like the prodigal who runs back and who connects and connects again and connects again and abides in the heart of the Father. Because ultimately, the whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth, breaking his body and giving his life for us was so that we could be restored to our Father. It's all about the Father. It's all about the kingdom of God. And it's all about us knowing who we are in him. We trace that right back to the Garden of Eden where God created Adam and Eve to worship him, to abide in that garden, to be in intimate relationship with him, to know God, to know God's heart. This is what Jesus came to restore to us. So we wouldn't be far off and lost in sin, but that we could be fully immersed in this amazing relationship of love, of healing, of continuous restoration, of continuous blessing, continuous abundance, so that we can know, even when things are stolen from us, even when things are taken from us, Some of us have lost inheritances. Some of us have had things that should have been ours taken. But when we're abiding in the Father, we can know that there is always enough. There is always restoration. There is a promise of abundance. John 10.10, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. So let us abide in the Father. Jeremiah 31.3, another verse I absolutely treasure. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again. Abide in me and I in you. Hmm. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. My joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. We really need a heavenly perspective. We need to remain in that place. It's so easy and so natural to see it the way the older brother saw it. When we're going through life and things come up, it's not always easy. There's lots of hard things that happen. And it can feel unfair, it can feel unjust. But when we abide in his love, when we have that heavenly perspective, then we can tap into that that supernatural provision of God's grace, God's all-sufficiency, God's abundance. We can love with his love. We can forgive because he first forgave us. We can love because he first loved us. The Father always has enough to sustain us. His heart, his kingdom, is enough for us all. Ah, that one. Yeah, so my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. God's kingdom can never be divided or split. Whenever there are true sons of God abiding in his vine, there is always enough and there is always multiplication. 
what the Father has, what he has spiritually, the love, the life, fullness, harvest of souls. It cannot be divided or split. There is always multiplication where true sons of God are abiding in him. So that even after brokenness, there can be wholeness. After division, there can be multiplication. And even after death, there can be resurrection. Looking at the older son's reaction one last time in contrast to the father's heart. In John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. A servant doesn't know his father's business. I call you sons. I call you friends. Let us align ourselves with the father's heart, not out of striving or duty, but because of his goodness, because of relationship with our Father, to trust him as the vine in which we abide, because of love, because we know that he is an unendingly good Father. In him and only in him can we know that there is always enough for us all. So will we align ourselves to his heart? Will we see through his perspective? Will we respond as he responds? Will we treasure his heart and treasure his ways? To love both ourselves and one another with his great love. Hmm. Sometimes that bit's a challenge, isn't it? Love ourselves as well <laughs> as everyone else. That's the command that he gave us, to love ourselves as he loves us. And then out of that, to love one another. Not to be servants, but to be sons. Will we love with his great love that never runs out because there is always enough So yeah, that is the challenge for us today. I really want to pray that this won't only be something that's perhaps touched your spirit just today, but my hope and my prayer is that this is something that will touch our lives, that it will actually manifest itself as we go out, that we will actually start to receive fresh revelation things that we've seen the same over and over again that have weighed us down, that we haven't been able to shake free of, where we've just felt like things have been stolen from us, that we'll receive fresh revelation, that we will live in a different way, that we will apply this in a new way, that God's Spirit will speak to us throughout our lives, in our daily lives, that we'll be able to move in his incredible love, knowing who we are in him in a whole new way, because there's always more for us. So yeah, I'd like to pray. Holy Spirit, I want to welcome you here. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your great love, for your abundant love.
for your love that never runs out, that never runs dry, that welcomes us again and again and again. I thank you that in your house there are many rooms, that you have a place for each and every one of us. We are your treasure, we are your children, we are your sons. And I want to encourage each one of you, each one of us, to let go and release things. Release things that maybe you've hung on to. Things that have made you feel like that servant rather than that son. To enter once again into that heart of pure love that is found in God the Father. To encounter that love and that place that he has just for you. That Father's house, that Father's home that has many, many rooms and one prepared just for you. That's not just for when we get to heaven. That is a place we can abide in every day, every day of our lives. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'll minister to people's hearts. Bring deeper revelation, bring fresh revelation. Let your people abide in your heart that is a home full of love.